welcome to From the Frontline. I'm Hunter Combs in the studio once again with Dr. Peter Hammond discussing successful secessions and the fight for freedom. Now, there's been a lot of talk lately about Cape independence and is this right, is it wrong? Uh, there's been lots of different opinions about it, but there's been a campaign for the independence of the Cape that has had much in the news media recently, and there's also a March for Freedom that's planned for tomorrow. So, Dr. Hammond, uh, thanks for having us to discuss this tonight. Well, it's an important subject, and it's very timely. There's those who are pushing for globalism. There's those who are pushing for decentralization. Mm. So what can you tell us about Cape Secession? Is, is this even a good idea? I mean, do we really want to secede from South Africa? Why would this even be a good idea for us to consider? Well, nobody was discussing this 30, 40 years ago because uh, the electricity was cheap, easy, one of the cheapest electricity in the world, mm -hmm. uh, reliable, power failures were unheard of, uh, crime was so low that uh, you could go anywhere, anytime, and uh, there was no such thing as burglar bars, security gates, alarms, mm -hmm. motion sensors, no such thing as armed response companies. Why would you need that? You've got a police force. Uh, in fact, we didn't tend to have walls and gates around our homes mm -hmm. and properties in Cape Town. So the reason why people are talking about Cape secession right now is because South Africa is becoming a failed state and mm -hmm. the government can't keep the electricity on, as you've noticed. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> There's problems with water. There's problems with everything from corruption through to, well, I think also during the lockdown, you could see that the interest in Cape Secession increased even greater. For example, before the lockdown, so beginning of 2020, there were 7,000 people signed up to Cape Exit. Mm. Uh, after, well, uh, after two years of lockdown, after two years of uh, three weeks just to flatten the curb, yeah. <laughs> um, there are 850,000 people signed up for mm -hmm. Cape Exit. So you can see the exponential growth of interest in a Cape secession movement has grown in direct proportion to the failure of the central government. And of course, what also has fueled it is talk about expropriation without compensation, where the government's mm -hmm. talking about expropriating farms and uh, talking about uh, basically a genocide of uh, the ethnic minorities where there's such hostility to the whites and the coloreds in the Cape and to the Asians and Indians and the Malays. And you can just see this such this broad-based black economic empowerment with 140 different pieces of legislation that are racist in terms of uh, racial quotas for sports teams, for employment, for on every level. It's, it's just so incredible. And it's not like that's actually helping anyone except a few corrupt elites. So because the phenomenal corruption and inefficiency of centralized government, there is a growing desire for, well, we may not be able to save the whole country, but perhaps we can save sections of it. I think a lot of the thinking along the line is along the thoughts of if you're in an aircraft and in the event of loss of cabin pressure, first put on your own oxygen mask and then attempt to assist other passengers, mm. that we can't be much help to our neighbors until we've got some freedom for ourselves. So it's not that the people in Cape don't love our neighbors, in the Transvaal and in KwaZulu-Natal and the Free State. And of course, no, we, we care for them, but something's got to be done now. It just so happens that in the Western Cape, the majority of the population have never voted for the central government, ever. Mm. So the Western Capes, in fact, never had the government they voted for. So we've got a province who is being crushed by a central government who takes most of our taxes and never returns it. So, for example, for every rand we spend in taxes from the Cape, we get eight cents back. 
So 8% of the taxes get spent within the Cape. And we're not even saying well spent. Much mm. of that's wasted and corrupt as well. But basically, if we declared independence, we could cut our taxes to less than 10% of what they are now. Mm. And we'd still have more left over because we'd be run more efficiently. The Western Cape is the most efficiently run province in the country. And you can see this in many ways. It's about the only province in the whole country that gets a clean audit uh, for uh, financials. It's uh, the only province in the country that is having a net growth economically and in terms of immigrants. People are mm. coming in and the people are coming into the Western Cape are coming in because they're getting better opportunities, more reliable services. And so we either let the rot of central government corruption and cadre deployment uh, where they, they, through the cover of black economic empowerment, are giving to their own people uh, tasks where they just loot the, the ministry and uh, no services come to people on the ground. Or we try and save our section and in doing so hopefully set a an example of decentralization that others will follow. In fact, we already know mm. groups like KwaZulu-Natal, the Kingdom of KwaZulu, are talking about secession themselves. And it's basically a race. Who's going to secede first, KwaZulu or the Cape? Mm. But um, there's a lot of alliances, and we know there's other groups who are very interested in secession. So, yes, right now uh, it's because of economic necessity and uh, in many ways, it's actually a form of survival because do you continue to stand a government that would like to be able to expropriate your property without compensation on a racial basis? Or would you like to have a society that's, that's got no racial laws and which is just based on freedom of opportunity and uh, in accordance with law? The Cape's got a good track record and uh, we think we can go better on our own. Hmm. And what about people who would say, well, Cape secession, that's this is probably more just like uh, wanting to return to the old South Africa to apartheid and things like that. How would you respond to that? Well, that's nonsense because in the Cape, for example, uh, the population here in the Western Cape, let's get the actual statistics, uh, the majority of the people in the Cape are coloured. Hmm. And the majority of the support for Cape independence is amongst the coloured people. Hmm. But if you just take amongst the races, 56% of coloured people in the Western Cape want independence. 17% of black people in Western Cape want independence. 27% of the whites in the Western Cape want independence at this moment, according to a professional poll. So overwhelmingly, this isn't something that's just one particular racial group. You can see this interest and support for Cape independence across the racial spectrum. What's intriguing, too, is it's even across the political spectrum hmm. because um, of the different political parties in the Western Cape, 72% of people who vote for the DA would like independence in the Western hmm. Cape. 10% of those, sorry, I've got that wrong. Let me start again. 70% of the people in the Western Cape who want independence vote for the DA. 10% of those who are in the Cape and want independence are Freedom Front Plus supporters. 11% of those who want independence are ANC supporters. Now, mm. that's very strange. And in the balance from ACDP and some other parties. So uh, you can see that even across the political spectrum, there's mm. interest. This isn't just one racial group, one political party. And... Uh, when you think about it too, just consider this factor, that the majority language in the Western Cape is Afrikaans. The mm. majority of households in the Western Cape speak Afrikaans. Now, that includes the colored community. Now, I know people overseas, perhaps in America, may be a bit confused because uh, the term there, colored, is yeah, no longer say. in vogue. <laughs> and colored and black is normally meant um, as a synonym so for one another, but not in South Africa. In South Africa, colored is a distinctly a different racial grouping. 
or tribal it's not, people. It's not a racist term, and the state's colored is a very racist term. Yes, no, no, over here, the, yeah. the, the, the colored people, we've got a group called the Cape Colored Congress, for example. Mm. They're very supportive of, of Cape independence. And uh, there's other groups like that. So of course, we've got the Cape Colored Corps, which is a very respected military unit that's been going for years. So it doesn't have the same connotations as elsewhere. So the majority of the people in the Western Cape uh, who want independence are the colored people who also the majority of the population mm. and their home language is Afrikaans. And as they've said, why is it that I can't have a policeman in my area who speaks my language? Mm. And they said, we don't have one man in our police station, they're talking about a particular area of Mitchell's Plain, not one person from Mitchell's Plain, not one colored, not one mm. person who even speaks Afrikaans. Why can't we have, it's not like we don't have our own policemen, but they shift, shift all the way over to the other side of the country, maybe in Soweto. Mm. And then we've got somebody from the Eastern Cape broaden here who doesn't even speak our language. Mm. They're saying, this doesn't make sense. Now you think, for example, in America, you can elect your own sheriff. Well, mm. over here with central government, you don't have a say over who's your local a police representative, so on. Mm. So you can see the attraction of this decentralization where communities get to reclaim control of their own communities again. Mm. And so is this a biblical idea that we're looking at and considering of uh, secession and movements like this? I mean, obviously our Christian listeners want to know, is this even something we can consider? Aren't we meant to just uh, be in submission to the governing authorities and things like that? How would you respond? Well, one of the central events of the Old Testament is the Exodus. And the mm. Exodus begins with, let my people go. Mm. Moses and Aaron comes to Pharaoh and says to him, thus says the Lord of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Now, this isn't just taking something out of context, because the concept is, first of all, the state of Israel grew out of secession from Egypt. Fair enough. Mm. Um, and so that, that is a biblical thing. But it's also the fact that Pharaoh did not recognize the Lord or want to worship him. Now, we have a government in South Africa. I often call them the cancer government because the middle letters of cancer is ANC. And the ruling party in South Africa is the African National Congress, the ANC. So the middle letter of cancer is ANC. So I will often speak about the government being the cancer government with a small C, capital ANC, and a small ER. Been doing this for many years, and mm. I see it's picked up because, th like a cancer, a cancer does not contribute to the health of the body. It takes mm. away now through corruption, and we've got a criminal enterprise government. Mm. When we talk about state capture uh, and corruption, it's so colossal. The entire we had for the first time ever a vote of no confidence in the entire cabinet, not just a vote of no confidence of president uh, wow. at the beginning of parliament, uh, beginning of this year, and the. the the lack of confidence in the government is pervasive throughout. Mm. In fact, in the last municipal elections, the government, in fact, got uh, a minority of the votes, the ruling party, because the people are just so outraged at their corruption. Uh, nevertheless, we've got a government that their first act was to abolish prayer in parliament. Right back in May 1994, Mandela's ANC abolished prayer in parliament, would not even accept a minute of silence would not even want to acknowledge a higher authority over themselves. So uh, we've had Bible reading and prayer in our parliament in the Cape for 120-odd years before, and then suddenly they stop it in 1994. The ANC has been godless. They've taken out Christian education, Bible education out of the schools. Our education of schools in South Africa used to have written in the curriculum, this curriculum is designed to bring every student to a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord mm. and Savior. Well, now it's like the main goal of the uh, curriculum seems to be uh, critical race theory, mm. 
LGBTQ, uh, a whole um, gender confusion mess. It's, it's, you know, not just evolutionism and situation ethics. It's gone way past that. And so in a real sense, the people in the Western Cape are saying, most of our homes are Christian. Most of our uh, home language is Afrikaans. You don't respect our language. You don't respect our religion, our faith. You don't respect our morals. We believe there's just two genders. We think only a man and a woman can get married. You know, let my people go. We don't want anything from you. We just want our freedom. We just want to rule our own lives. We just want to be left alone. Mm. And so in a real sense, um, I think the biblical model of Exodus is there. But there's another model. So if we go to 1 Kings 12, we read of the secession of the 10 northern tribes from the United Kingdom of Israel. So there were th- after the period of the judges, there were three kings of the United Kingdom, King Saul, King David, and King Solomon. Well, at the end of King Solomon's reign, his foolish son, Rehoboam, dismissed the wise counsel of his elders who stood before his father, Solomon. Instead, Rehoboam chose to rather listen to irresponsible advice of the young men who'd grown up with him. And as a result... Rehoboam arrogantly dismissed the petition of his subjects, threatened to tax them even heavier, to burden them with even more oppressive laws than they'd ever experienced before. And the response was, what share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, Israel. Now see to your own house of David. So Israel departed to their tents. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. We read in 1 Kings 12. There was none who followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. And then later Benjamin. And so when King Rehoboam assembled 180,000 soldiers to fight against the house of Israel to restore the United Kingdom, God stopped them, declaring the secession was of him. So this is intriguing that in 1 Kings 12 we read that the word of the Lord came to Shemaniah, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, to the rest of the people, saying, Thus says the Lord. You shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is of me. Therefore they obeyed the word of the Lord. They turned back according to the word of the Lord. So 1 Kings 12 makes it clear that secession can be of God. In fact, the northern kingdom of Israel grew out of secession, just like all of Israel grew out of secession from Egypt. And this just reminds us that all authority is limited authority. All authority is delegated authority. All authority is accountable And therefore, it is possible, both in the Bible and history, for people to, in accordance with the will of God, to secede. Hmm. So you talked about how there were many Christian values back in South Africa, historically, how even the curriculum was uh, Christian explicitly. Uh, Would this Cape Secession movement allow Christian values back in? Isn't it a secular movement? So is it actually something that will allow the freedom for Christian values, or is it just going to be another sort of secular government that comes in a secular state? Because, of course, as Christians, I can see a lot of pushback to that. Well, we don't want another secular government. Uh, We actually want Christian values based on the scriptures and based on the Bible. Yes, so in the Cape Independence Movement, you'll, of course, get a broad spectrum. But I recognize, and certainly I've been called in as a chaplain to help counsel and guide uh, different leaders. And sometimes I've been called on to chair meetings between different groups, everyone from Muslims and Christians to libertarians, uh, to folks from one side to the other, uh, people who are socialists, people who are capitalists. Uh, and uh, uh, the, the arguments that I think have stuck and which most of the Cape Independence Movement recognize is we're a multicultural uh, area. We're multilingual, multicultural, and we're multireligious. 
there are Muslims, there are Christians, we've got Catholics, we've got Protestants, we've got a wide range of people in the cave. How are we going to live together without conflict? Well, let's look at examples of excellence. Switzerland is a multicultural, multilingual country. How have they managed to work? Because there they've got German Protestants, German Catholics, French Protestants, French Catholics, Italian Catholics, Italian Protestants, and some Romans. Now, in this multilingual, multicultural, multireligious society, Switzerland's been an island of peace and stability for centuries. How? Well, by decentralization. They've got the Canton system where the power isn't rested in the central government. Central government's got very little power. The most power's down the cantons. So the local municipalities, in our terminology, local communities are actually, they call them Landkommende. The local communities are the power. In fact, mm -hmm. they collect taxes and they will give a little bit of taxes to the central government, keep them small. And uh, mm -hmm. central government's just there for defense and foreign affairs, but all real powers on, on the low. In fact, each local canton's got its own police force and its own laws. So we look at Switzerland and say, well, here's an example of excellence. And that would avoid conflict, you know, where you aren't a threat to your neighbor. So the Muslims in Burkamp will run Burkamp and the Christians in Belleville will run uh, Belleville and the secularists in Seapoint can make Seapoint secular mm -hmm. if they like. And, uh, and so it can be in the different areas. So yeah. we, I think the libertarian ideas of not crushing others under your rules, but letting everyone have a certain amount of freedom. And amongst the different uh, mechanisms that are looked at that have solved these problems is in Switzerland, they have referendums on many issues. Mm. And not just national referendums, but even uh, Canton referendums. Mm. So, for example, just looking at the model, you could have it that, say, um, Borland, one of our um, areas here, or the Overberg, they might say, no abortions in Overberg, Christian curriculum in the schools, and so on and so forth. And then you might say the inner city of Cape Town might say, no, we're going to be more secular and so on. Mm. So uh, you you could have different communities having their own stands. And, well, Burkhop would definitely be Islamic. I mean, we know mm. that. they like, what, 99% Muslim? Mm. So uh, each community would have the freedom to frame their own cultural settings. Now, there's still got to be some general overall principles like freedom of thought, freedom of religion, freedom of conscience, freedom of movement. So there must be some rules that say, okay, look, you can't start issuing death penalty for a person converting to another religion. Mm. You can't, you know, you can't kill babies. So, so there will be uh, some basic laws for the whole country, which might have to be, if it's controversial, settled by a referendum. But then there's community issues which will be settled by the community. So, for example, one community could say, we're not having any so-called adult or sexually oriented businesses in our community. And, you know, that's it. Not allowed here. And then another community may not have those standards. So mm. initially we could see, but this solves uh, solves conflict by uh, decentralizing. So people don't feel like I've got some foreigners, in this case in Pretoria, crushing down us saying, you've got to take this, this curriculum in your schools. And you say, we don't want this. Or uh, just like what you've just had a war in Ukraine where one of the things that led to that was uh, in 2014, they abolished minority rights for Russian. So all the people in Donbass region who were 97 percent Russian said, you mean we're not allowed to teach Russian in our schools? You know, that we've got to use another medium of uh, language. But this is our area. And then they were told, no, you've got to only use Ukrainian. Well, that's, that's a recipe for conflict. So uh, the Cape Independence is an idea of trying to look at Singapore as an economic example of excellence, Switzerland as a um, demographic and uh, a democratic um, example of excellence, and say, how can we resolve conflicts in the Cape? 
and how can we avoid the corruption and the chaos that we've been inheriting from the rest of this country? And so we think we've got workable solutions. And there's no doubt that the vast majority of the population in the Western Cape are from Christian homes and want the Christian faith and want pro-family principles and are pro-life. So I've got no doubt that a free and independent Cape of Good Hope would be mostly that. But we also recognize they're secular people. They're Muslim people who are looking for Cape independence. And many are super enthusiastic for different reasons. But we all are, sh are in agreement on this. We share this concern that central government is not the answer. They're the problem. And so mm. Cape independence is a way to try and provide a solution to a chaotic situation. Mm. It's very interesting. So would that mean that as people sort of, okay, you have more secular people, they're maybe living in a Christian community and they might end up moving to a more secular area where they have the values that they appreciate and maybe a Christian is living in a more secular area, they end up moving to a more Christian area. Could this end up sort of segregating your population, if you will? Well, not segregating because there's freedom of movement. So mm. it's natural that people would choose to be in a community where they feel more comfortable. So mm. if, for example, uh, you are, um, well, let's let's say you're a Christian living in Burkop and maybe the laws they enforce there as strict Muslims might make it harder for you. You might find it more comfortable uh, to be moving just next door to where the laws would be a bit different. Um, and there might be a Muslim who's fed up living in a secular city dome of Cape Town and say, I'm moving into Burkop because there mm -hmm. you know, our values are respected. And so you could expect a, a certain amount of free traffic, but that's not segregation. Mm. This isn't the government saying you've got to move there. It's yeah. you saying, I like that community. I'd prefer to be there because mm. they really, you know, there's no litter and pollution there. I like the, the crime-free um, atmosphere. And so they choose. And you could imagine criminals saying, well, I don't want to be in that place. Those people over there are far too strict on crime. I think you've even got that in Arizona where you've mm. got Maricopa County where the sheriff is really severe mm. and he puts prisoners in tents in the desert. Yeah. And so a lot <laughs> of people think, I would rather not uh, break the law over in that county. Mm. I'm moving to another area. And so you could you could see a whole lot of free movement, but that's not segregation. That's just choice. Mm. And so there'd be a lot more sort of people taking uh, value and dignity in their community and actually stepping up and saying, hey, I actually have a say in what happens in my community. So it actually sort of empower the people, if you will. Yes. So this is one of the solutions is how do you reclaim your communities? And of course, the municipality is the basic building block of any society. And so, uh, I mean, you just think in Proverbs 24, I went by the field of the lazy man, by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was all overgrown with thorns, the surface covered with nettles. The stone wall was broken down. And when I saw it, I considered well. I looked in it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall poverty come upon you like an armed robber and a need like a prowler. So that's Proverbs 24 warning about the dangers of laziness. And you can see it. Crime and grime go together. Mm. And because of laziness, the building decays. And through idleness, the hands of the house leaks. And you can see communities where the municipality is doing their job. And you can see communities where the municipality is not doing their job, you know, broken, leaking, spewing. They say one third of the water in this country is wasted by leaks in government pipes, which they just haven't bothered to fix. One third of the water. I mean, can you imagine? So it's so important that communities need to be strong. And the way to do this is to put back in the hands of the community control. So the people who pay the rates are the ones who should decide what's going on in that area. Rate payers 
homeowners and ratepayers should be the ones deciding what goes on in that area, not some transient passing through. Mm. He should never vote on what someone else's money is being done for. And then you elect your own police leaders, and which is not that unusual in some parts of the world. So if the police come from your community, are trained by your community, are answerable to your community, they're not going to stand by while their uncle's um, store is looted and uh, where their grandmother's shop is being stoned because that's their community. Whereas we've seen police standing by doing nothing while colossal destruction and burning and arson has been done. And it's like, well, that's not my community. I come from a thousand k's away. And there's a real problem with with uh, a centralized government controlling the police, whereas if it's in the hands of the local community, you can't get away with that much corruption if you live in the community where you're overruling. So if you've got a city councillor who's now suddenly living way past his means now, wait a minute, where did all this come from? Your neighbors can tell if they're the ratepayers and the voters in this area. And so uh, I think you'd be able to stamp out corruption and everything from uh, litter, pollution, crime, if uh, you put back in the hands of the community both the control over the finances and the control over the police. Mm. So that would mean that the people in power could act- would actually be held to account. They would be held accountable to the law. You couldn't just have this sort of corruption. Well, oh, it's a police officer. They <laughs> they sort of get a- get away with it. There's a free pass. I mean, that's an interesting thing. I think in this country, there's just so much corruption where uh, so there would actually be the ability to take these people to court or something and hold them accountable. They could actually be prosecuted for committing offenses against the law. Well, we know that smaller is better and the smaller it is, the more accountable it is. So one of the worst things that's ever happened to this country is the uni city. We used to have very efficient little communities where, you know, Borkop was a real tight community and uh, Mitchell's Plain and Belleville and Para. But when they made a uni city, they took suddenly these little communities like Pinelands was 15,000 people. And then suddenly it was swallowed up in this four and a half million people metropole, which they called the uni city. And instead of going down the road to your town councillor, who you knew, and uh, the mayor's place, which is in walking distance, now you've got to travel to town and find parking and get to this floor and wrong floor and wrong queue and the man with the keys not here and fill out those forms. Oh, you didn't need, you've got to go back for that and on and on. And the uni city's just been one big colossal cover for corruption. And they don't know your community and they don't care. Mm. Whereas when it was in the hands, uh, each of these communities was so well, so that you'd go into a place like Perrin, you'd just see everything everywhere, just beautiful gardens planted by the municipal workers. They took such pride in every single traffic circle was just uh, like a botanical garden wait uh, for some kind of uh, show or competition is quality. And now everything's dead, decaying, litter strewn, chaos, um, all kinds of mess. And this just shows that centralization is, is a mess. But we know that. I mean, communism's proved that centralization is a complete, mm. utter chaos. And as Margaret Thatcher said, the problem with socialism is sooner or later you run out of other people's money, mm. which central <laughs> government has. And by the way, for people who think we're exaggerating corruption, according to the African Union's Task Force on Corruption, one-third of the GDP, gross domestic product of Africa, is stolen by corruption every year. One-third of the gross domestic product. I mean, that's... That's just staggering, which, by the way, is 10 times more than all the foreign aid. So mm. Africa doesn't need foreign aid if they could just cut corruption by 10%. Mm. Imagine if you could cut corruption by 50% or 100%. So corruption is stealing from everyone, and it's so bad. It's so extreme uh, that um, 
this is the only answer is to bring things back within the bounds of the local community because it's the unicity and the centralized state that enables people to steal with impunity. Mm. So are there successful examples we have in history of secession that have taken place where people have seen real issues in their countries, in their communities, and they've actually done this, they've seceded, and what is what does that look like, and what can we yes. learn from those examples well, in history? Well, let's see. Of course, as we said, Israel is one example, um, and uh, so, is the, so is the United States of America. Remember, they did secede from Great Britain, mm. 4th of July. That's what people celebrate on 4th of July, 1776. Uh, Switzerland, one of the most successful countries in history, they seceded from Austria in 1291, making Switzerland the oldest republic in the world, an island of peace in a continent often torn apart by war. I mean, you think that in the First and Second World War, French, Germans, and Italians were killing one another by the millions, but not in Switzerland. Switzerland was an island of sanity and peace in a time of insanity and, and wholesale destruction. And, and Switzerland's not apathetic. they the birthplace of the Red Cross. And one of the world's oldest, best-known humanitarian organizations. Now, they're not sending the Marines and bombing other countries, but they're taking bandages and medicines and, and the love of Christ into many different countries. And so it just shows that that is one very good example of secession. Uh, what about the Netherlands? Um, Netherlands secede from Spain in, starting in 1568. In fact, it was Prince William of Orange, after whom our Orange River and Orange Free States named after, who led the fight for the independence of Netherlands from Spain. Belgium later secede from the Netherlands, 1830. Texas, everyone should remember this, Texas seceded from Mexico in 1836. Mm. Remember the Alamo? Uh, Nicaragua seceded from Guatemala, 1838. Norway seceded from Sweden in 1905, just 117 mm. years ago. Uh, Norway was under Sweden until then. And Finland seceded from Russia in 1917. Just a few years ago, they celebrated their 100th anniversary. Um, and the Republic of Ireland this year is going to celebrate 100 years since the secede from Great Britain, Ireland. Mm. And Pakistan seceded from India, 1947. Taiwan seceded from China, 1949. Not that China wants to recognize that, but they're a very successful country. I think a huge amount of our technology comes from Taiwan. And Singapore succeeded from Malaysia in 1965, turned this unpromising island swamp into one of the most potent economic powers in Africa. And my wife said, going to Singapore, she is stunned by how clean and neat and efficient everything is. Uh, by the way, they they whip with a, they take a cane, a, a karate master will cane people for things like a graffiti. And, uh, mm. uh, and I think uh, drug dealers are executed. So, you know, it's quite strict, but uh, but it's an economic powerhouse, and I know that because many of the biggest Bible printing projects we've ever done was printed in Singapore because Singapore could print Bibles like the Moral Bibles. When we printed 10,000 copies of the Bible and Moral, they could print them for $2.50 each unit price, which was um, – literally one-fifth the cost that a Kenyan printer would charge us. And so we got our Bibles, we got five times more Bibles printed in Singapore than we could have gotten printed for the same amount of money in Kenya, to including the transportation and shipping to get them to mm. Mombasa. So Singapore's a great example economically. Bangladesh seceded from Pakistan in 1970. Namibia used to be part of South Africa. Namibia seceded from South Africa in 1990. That's not that long ago. And by the way, they're doing better than we are. Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia secede from Russia in 1991. 
Croatia and Slovenia seceded from Yugoslavia in 1991. I was there in Croatia when they were talking about the independence coming, and I, I thought that's not possible, but they seceded. Eritrea seceded from Ethiopia in 1991. Slovakia seceded from Czechoslovakia in 1993, the Velvet Divorce. Nobody died. There's no violence, no riots. Yeah. Done peacefully and amicably. East Timor seceded from Indonesia in 2002. And South Sudan, which I was heavily involved in that campaign, seceded from Sudan in 2011, the youngest country in the world. Amazing. Just 11 years ago, South Sudan became an independent country, therefore the newest country recognized on earth. And so, yes, there are quite a few, and, and that's just a few of them. There are others. But mm. there's, uh, it just shows secession is not just an option historically, but in fact it's growing recently because a lot of people have just had it with centralization. And centralization is very wasteful. And I think during this time of the lockdown lunacy, masquerade madness, salvation by vaccination, mandatory, this, that, and the other, a lot of people have gotten a lot more fed up and they're thinking, no government should have the right to tell me what I must wear and uh, what I can put into my bloodstream. And no, um, uh, how dare they? Or force my kid to wear masks at school. And so I think a lot of people are deciding centralization is not the, the way. Because let's face it, uh, just because something is is considered necessary in Shanghai doesn't mean that's the way it should be in Calvinia or mm -hmm. George or Tuemosis Dudverin Bofuskaskitfontein. And why must it be a one size fits all? Every country is mm -hmm. different. Sweden said no to the lockdowns and they did just fine. And why must everyone do what one central authority says? So I think decentralization is the wave of the future. Mm. And so <clears throat> I'm sure not all these secessions are equal. I'm sure some are peaceful, some may have been violent. Um, what can we learn from the peaceful secessions? Yes, well, those are definitely the ones we'd prefer to go follow after. Um, uh, praise God for Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia. They had the singing uh, revolution, they called it. They just, they really focused on the culture. Well, they couldn't take on the Soviet Union militarily. Uh, they went about this in a very peaceful way. Um, and uh, they had the Baltic uh, line, uh, that a human chain stretching millions of people across the whole of Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, and they were singing. Um, and uh, that that's just an amazing, inspiring example of how you don't have to win uh, by violence. You can win by uh, celebrating your culture, and they revived their own culture, and their own, uh, especially in their songs. And the fact that um, you could have Slovakia having an amicable secession from uh, what now is the Czech Republic, and Czech and Slovakia managed to they trade and work together, but they're now two separate countries, what was once um, a forced um, but demographically um, uneven um, arrangement. Same with Yugoslavia. It was not a good idea. Unfortunately, Yugoslavia, it took a lot of ugly wars, uh, whereas Czechoslovakia and the Baltic states, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia were peaceful. That's the way one needs to go. And Singapore was also very peaceful. So Finland, too, there was no violence with... Uh, the Finnish secession or the Norway secession from Sweden. So uh, I think we've passed the stage where countries go to war over secession, although mm. right now Ukraine seems to be an exception to that, but there's a lot of factors there. Mm. But um, just take, for example, that Canada recently had a referendum where uh, if Quebec had voted for secession, they would have been allowed to go. They wouldn't have mm. waged a war with them. Uh, Scotland had a referendum a while ago uh, with uh, Great Britain, and they decided to stay. And I can tell you why they decided to stay. 
Scotland has all the benefits of independence. Um, they've got their own pond, they've got their own flag, they've even got the Stone of Scones being brought back from under the throne of the Queen. Mm. Uh, and Scotland, in fact, gets so much financial benefit. In fact, they're paying a fraction in taxes for the benefits they're getting. So England mm. is subsidizing them so much that there's no reason for Scotland to leave because the opposite of the Cape, they're getting far more back for mm. their buck than they're putting into it. So why would they want to secede? They're part of an efficient union which provides them with more defense and more contracts and they've got more benefits. And they have a say in Westminster Parliament in Great Britain and they still have total self-government when it comes to Scotland. So they've gotten the autonomy benefits to such an extent and the economic benefits that Scotland decide actually we're going to stay in the union, which I think um, William Wallace Braveheart would have been a bit shocked about. <laughs> but nevertheless, uh, that's the opposite with the Cape. And the Cape um, is not being met halfway. And right now, there are people in the Cape arguing, saying, we need, and we've been saying it for years, give us back control over our water. Give us back control of our electricity. Give us back control of our railways and our police. And, uh, and if we get provincial control of these things, that would give us autonomy. Now, those would, if the government was doing that and was responsive to the concerns about corruption and so on, and responsive to the resistance to expropriation without compensation, we probably wouldn't be talking independence. But because of the radical nature of uh, the often Marxist elements running the ANC, uh, they are pushing the people in the Cape to where there's not much choice except for secession. So in the Cape independence movement, there are those who would be satisfied with autonomy and those who are saying, look, uh, we can't trust the central government. We just need to go for full independence. So basically speaking, I think there's a lot of room for negotiation of how to do this. And central government can't keep the lights on. They can't keep the water flowing. They can't pay the bills. They're failing on so many areas. In fact, decentralization just makes sense. Why, would, why wouldn't they do that? All they're going to do is get less problems and put the opportunities back in the hands of people. If, right now, if they can't keep the electricity on, why not uh, denationalize electricity and let private companies solve the problem? Because central state-run enterprises don't seem to be doing the job, but they don't want to hand over because this is where a lot of their cadres get uh, the benefits of being given jobs. Um, they call it cadre deployment, which is just nothing but corruption, that instead of getting the best person for the job who's going to get results for the most economic uh, investment, you're getting people who are politically well-connected getting the mm. tenders and the contracts. And that's, of course, not efficient. So uh, privatization is the way to go. And if they want to continue with their socialist centralization, well, places like the Cape are going to break away. Hmm. So there's a great amount of uh, benefits to the Cape breaking away, if you will. There's an economic benefit. Uh, there's actually a lot of the, the income comes through the Western Cape. I mean, we have so much tourism happening here. Hmm. So, uh, I mean, there would just be a lot of great benefits here. You've even spoken about it possibly being a tax haven things like that in the future. Uh, so there's a lot of benefits and it puts more power in the hands of the people. So and I know we don't have much time left, but what would be some steps that we need to take to achieve an independent Cape of Good Hope? Well, uh, of course, the march just uh, tomorrow is one of those practical things where uh, there's an opportunity to make a stand and uh, it's called Freedom Day. It's one of these holidays the government just chose after abolishing things like Ascension Day and meaningful days, and then they decided to have um, a Freedom Day. Well, okay, we'll 
let's talk about freedom. Mm. Um, we'll march for freedom. So what can we practically do to work for secession and independence and freedom? I look at the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is an excellent example of you've got a problem. You see the distress we're in, how Jerusalem lies waste. Its gates are burned with fire. Come, let's rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that we might no longer be in disgrace. So Nehemiah 2.17 puts a good goal. And you can see already in Nehemiah, the first step is Nehemiah gets informed about the problem. Then he is interceding. Then he gets involved. And then he begins to implement a plan and strategy and he invests more into it and gets more people involved in implementing the strategy. So this is what we must do. If we want to be free and independent, we need to systematically break from the shackles that bind us. So we shouldn't be dependent on the state and don't be in bondage to the banks. Don't be reliant on state structures and corrupt politicians and banksters and big pharma and big tech. So practical steps we can take for secession, independence and freedom include education, not indoctrination. So seceding from the state indoctrination gulag and ensuring that our children and our grandchildren receive real education, faith-based education, independent Christian education, not state indoctrination, and entertainment, not exploitation. We should secede from the Hollywood indoctrination, exploitation, defilement industry. Why continue to allow cocaine-sniffing drug addicts and blaspheming antichrist pagans, pedophiles, and predators like Harvey Weinstein to exploit entertainment to defile us with their degrading degeneracy. No? Uh, so let's have real entertainment, support good entertainment, not exploitation. And then information, not disinformation. We should secede from the mainstream media instead of distraction from the real issues and fake news from the state-owned SATV and so on, Let's or the Communist News Network or the Bolshevik Broadcasting Corporation, the Sunday Crimes, if we support real alternative news media, actual community radio stations, and uh, instead of fake news, let's get real news. Let's not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. So I think that's important. And in gyms for the mind, um, we need to invest in libraries and books and audiovisual resources and and uh, build up our minds. We, we need to have understanding. And so books and libraries are gems for the mind. Uh, develop a library in your community, in your church, in your home, and develop self-sufficiency. Uh, we've got so much initiative in the Cape, like what we're part of this planting trees on the canal and cleaning up the rivers and uh, having all kinds of um, local community initiatives, whether it's uh, the neighborhood watch communities or whether it's uh, improving uh, our local areas, harvesting rainwater from your roof, um, investing in a borehole if you can, and uh, um, planting fruit trees and cultivating a vegetable garden, becoming less dependent on the state and being a good neighbor, uh, building a strong communal network of mutual support using Rotary clubs, scouts, uh, hmm. the guides, other community groups, being a faithful member of a local congregation, home Bible study and prayer fellowship, women's group, mother's group, men's group. Uh, love your neighbors yourself. So these are all practical steps towards working towards independence. And, and once we're getting ourselves independent of the world's conformity, we can join a group working for Cape Independence like Cape Exit. Cape Exit is non-political. They are non-racial, they're not sectarian, and Cape Exit uh, is a group that's already got 850,000 people signed up for them. You can find Cape Exit on the web, you can find Cape Exit on social media. Uh, there's the Cape Independence Party, there's the Cape Independence Action Group is actually organizing the uh, march tomorrow that starts at the City Hall and the Grand Parade. So uh, if you are able to get to Cape Town, assuming you're in Cape Town, 11 o'clock 
tomorrow, Wednesday, the 27th of April, outside the Old City Hall on the Grand Parade. That's where the march is going to begin. And uh, look for, we've got a website called capeofgoodhope.africa. capeofgoodhope.africa. That's the website and the Cape of Good Hope Facebook page. And you'll see we've got a free Cape Independence Handbook, which has got a whole lot of practical. It's got the links. It's got the webs. It's got um, everything from the case for Cape Independence and the eyewitness to successful secession movements and how to reclaim your communities and what you can practically do and the road to independence and the legal things and the polling results of Cape Independence Action uh, Action Group, which um, went all the way around and got a really professional one. And you can see that, in fact, the majority of the people in the Cape support a referendum on Cape Independence. So uh, all of this available, go to capeofgoodhope.africa or on Facebook, uh, The Cape of Good Hope. Hmm. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We hope this has given you something to think about, that uh, there are actually biblical examples of this, even ordained by God. We see examples in history of independence taking place and the need for Cape independence in the current situation South Africa and the Western Cape finds itself in. And so would you be in prayer for the Western Cape? Would you be in prayer for South Africa as a whole, uh, that our leaders would come to repentance and come to know Christ and that uh, the people would begin to be free again and so that more missionaries could be sent out, so that there could be more freedom, that the gospel can go forth. Um, And as there is freedom, then the church can rise up and really begin to have more influence in the culture and begin uh, being a light to the nations. So thank you for joining us. Remember, Galatians 5.1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Good night and God bless.